like the whole dying thing is just a progression. I, it's hard to lose a loved one for sure,、mm-hmm. but I know that they're in a great place. It just wasn't my time to go,、mm-hmm. but when it is, that's great. I'm not, you know, a lot of people are afraid of death,、mm-hmm. and there's no reason to be afraid. Welcome to Stories of Hope in Hard Times, the show that explores how people endure and even thrive in difficult times, all with God's help. I'm your host, Tamara K. Anderson. Join me on a journey to find inspiring stories of hope and wisdom learned in life's hardest moments. My guest today was born and raised in Logan, Utah, as the middle child between two brothers. She grew up spending as much time as possible outdoors, water skiing, swimming, riding motorcycles, and skiing. She is known as a survivor. I say that because she has survived cancer, a heart attack, a divorce, and an aortic dissection, which we'll have to have her tell us about. She has three amazing children. A daughter-in-law and now a grandbaby who are the center of her life. I am pleased to present Terry Benson. Terry, are you ready to share your story of hope? Yes, I am. Thank、awesome. you for having me today. This is fun. So, one little-known fact about Terry is that she is an adrenaline junkie, and. Just to give you an example of that, I was scrolling through her social media feed, and it shows she went and hiked Angel's Landing not long ago. And for any of you who have not hiked Angel's Landing in Zion National Park, it is like one of the hardest hikes, and the trail gets really narrow, and you have to hold on to this chain. So, Terry, tell me why the adrenaline junkie in you desires these crazy things, but. They're fun, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. All of it's fun. You know what? I think I was just born with it. Like I have my two brothers are exactly the same.、Like、oh, really? Just, <laughs> yeah, they're kind of like the same adrenaline. Just ride your mountain bike as fast as you can, or you know, just ski like you know, fifty-five miles an hour, whatever. But I've kind of <laughs> always been that way, and you know, it was suppressed for a long time. Um, when I was married, in a ba- it was a bad marriage, and、mm. so you know everything kind of went by the wayside, and I was just surviving every single day and not really having any joy. So yeah, I just kind of put that on the back burner for a while, but it's back. <laughs> <laughs> so it's part of your true things, and it's one of those things that brings you joy. Then is being outside.、Mm-hmm. Pushing yourself to the limit,、um, right. exploring and doing new things that you haven't done before. Then, right. right, right. Like if there's a skateboard sitting there, I've got to get on it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I've got to just try it. <laughs> why not? Right. <laughs>、yeah. Now, why don't we? Why don't you tell me a little bit about that living in survival mode before you got your divorce? What was that? What did that look like? And what things did you learn because of it?、Um, well, I didn't really know that I was living in survival mode、mm. until after 
like even after I got divorced, I was still just hanging on by the, my fingertips. Just there was no joy in my life. It was just like, okay, I've got to get up. I've got to go to work to a job that I hate, but I'm mm-hmm. grateful for it because I need the health insurance and I need all that. But I feel like I looking back because I did die for 26 minutes during the first open heart surgery. And I thought that would have October 23rd, 2012 would have been my technically it should have been my last day. Mm -hmm. Like I, you know, wasn't supposed to survive. And now I look back and I think, how sad is that? Like, how sad was my life? Like I, that kind of sucked. I haven't been living. And I thought, Mm. man, I just, you know, I need to just be grateful for every day I have and experience all the things that that is out there and, you know, serving people and sharing my story and helping them. Um, it's something that I, that I don't want to look back on my life and think, gosh, your life kind of sucked because mm. it did for a long time. And I thought, I don't want that kind of life anymore. And, you know, if you're going to be happy, you have to make that choice, Mm. you know, and I could sit around and feel sorry for myself or, you know, because, oh, I had a heart attack. I got divorced. I, you know, all this stuff. And I'm like, I don't want to be that example to my kids either. Mm -hmm. You know, you can do hard things, but it's you. I mean, you can have all the support. And I did, I had an army of support, but Ultimately, it's you that has to make the choice. And I had to make that choice over and over and over again, so many times in that first year of recovery. On a daily basis, almost, right? Pretty much. Yeah. When you wake up and you're like, oh, it wasn't a bad dream. It was really, it was real. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Yeah. yeah, I just, I don't know. I just feel like you have to just live life on purpose, on purpose. And you have to have something to live for, something to look forward to and and find a purpose. Like, had this ever happened to me, I would have never known that I could write. I never, I haven't wrote Mm. anything since I was in college back in 1980. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. I mean, I, a term paper hated, no, I don't want to write anything. Mm -hmm. And people said, you've got to write a book. You've got to write a book. And I'm like, how do you write a book? Mm-hmm. And you know, you put it out there, and I had people literally come into my life to make it happen. So it's interesting how when something's supposed to happen, that you know, it's like I think I read a quote once that says the universe conspires to make it happen. You know, that when it's supposed well, to happen, and you sure. decide that you want to, right? Miracles and, happen. Yes, I truly believe in miracles, and it like there was a lot of people. I mean, I had to still write it, but there were people that you know, help to put it all together and, you know, make it happen. So, because, you know, and I didn't know, I would have never figured out that I so late in life that I love to write, <laughs> you know, and, uh, but you got, you had to be slowed down just a little bit. <laughs> yes, You have to really hit the bottom, <laughs> but, you know, but it's, you know, it was, it's a blessing. Bad stuff happens to people every day every mm. single day but I think the, the what shows your true character is how you decide to deal with it oh I love that you know? and during my recovery I just thought I don't want my kids to like 
feel like you can't find the joy. Like I could have been miserable and grumpy all all the time, but I didn't want my kids to see that as an example of when stuff bad stuff bad stuff happens to you, you don't just woe is me. You know, you kind of have to figure it out and like pivot and you know make some changes. Yeah. So yeah. So why don't we go back and why don't you tell me a little bit, first of all, what an aortic dissection is? Okay. And just to kind of give an idea of what it is, I don't think I really understood what it was until I read your book. And then I was like, oh my gosh, it's a miracle she's still alive. So because it's not one of those things like heart attack, you know, which you had one of those two, by the way, holy cow. why don't you tell us maybe what what the difference is between a heart attack and an aortic dissection, just so that we understand? Right. Um, I had my heart attack in 2008, no, 2009. And I had just had a normal day and I came home and it was almost like a light switch went off. And I just had this horrible front jaw pain. Like someone was just like, twisting the inside of my neck and I was like what is happening and then it kind of started to go down into my left arm excruciating Mm. pain so I like literally go over to the laptop in the live in the the family room and google and I'm like these are symptoms of a heart attack (gasps) I'm 48 years old like I don't I'm I don't, I don't get a heart attack. Like I, right. take really, I take pretty good care of myself. So uh, we ended up going to the ER and it was a heart attack, but they couldn't actually figure out why I had it because there were no blockages. Really? Like there was, yes. And so my cardiologist came in like a couple of days later and said, you know, we've done all the testing we can do. And there's really no reason why you should have had a heart attack except for stress. Wow. And I, yeah, stress can kill and it definitely can. So I had to, he said, you need to like figure out what's causing you so much stress and you need to make some changes. And so I'm like, yeah, I probably need to get divorced. So (laughs) I ended up doing that about nine months later. I actually filed for divorce and bankruptcy the week before Christmas. Oh my gosh. Yes. Wow. Yes. Oh my gosh. So So, with Christmas time coming up, I I mean, was that a good step to take or, I mean, I know it was hard, but talk me through what you were thinking as you were doing that. I just knew that I needed to get out of my marriage. He was an alcoholic. And so my kids, my kids were old enough to know, I mean, what was going on and did the stuff that I never thought I would have to do end my marriage and be on my own and then of course the house went into foreclosure so then I had to move into like a rental and you know it's just it just was a spiral like (laughs) bad and you know and I'm just like living each day just going through the motions Mm. and when I was 50 I had the aortic dissection so I mean there's distinct factors when you have a heart attack like, uh-huh. you know, something's wrong, right? Like it's painful with an aortic dissection. I mean, I've read other people's stories and talked to other survivors and 
Some of them have pain, some of them don't. Some of them have a weird stabbing in the back of their chest or their in their back, but I just had a little stinging pain under my sternum. Really? So I knew it wasn't a heart attack. Right. So I had gotten up that day, went to work, went to the gym, ran like five miles of sprints on the treadmill and getting ready for bed that night. I just felt like a tearing, like burning. And that's the thing with an aortic dissection. You don't know you're dying. So most people don't make it to the ER. And there's a lot that they they don't diagnose it in the ER because it's hard to diagnose. So they Mm. just get sent home and then they die. Oh my so, and that was it. I didn't have any other symptoms, but you have your heart and then your aorta comes up and arches. It's the big down. artery. Yeah. The big artery. So it goes, the arteries to your brain, and then it comes down and all, it goes to all the main organs, all right. your, you know, so the aorta is pumping. That's what's keeping you alive. My aorta dissected, which is tear, um, it tore down into the root of the aortic valve. Oh, cool. And then it tore up around and then all the way down into my abdomen. And honestly, when I think about it, I think I don't even know how I survived. Wow. So, yes, they went in and my doctor worked miracle after miracle. So I do have a new aortic valve. They replaced it and then have rebuilt my whole aorta. So. Maybe I'm a little bionic. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have any superpowers. I wish I would have come back with that. That's pretty funny. Now, what's interesting about about you going to the hospital to begin with? Because you said it was just kind of like a little heartburn or something. You had an interesting experience that kind of pushed you to go. Why don't you tell me about that? Yes. I would have never gone to the ER. I'm not that girl. Like, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. And so I had Googled, I was laying in bed. I mean, it's late. It's probably 12 or one o'clock. And I Googled stinging pain in chest. And of course, everything that came up is go to your cardiologist or go to the ER. And I'm like, I'm not doing that, you know? Mm -hmm. So I just laid down to go back to sleep. And I don't know if I fell asleep, but I was laying there and I distinctly heard my dad say, get up, go put your sweats on. And have McCall take you to the ER now. And it wasn't his kind voice. (laughs) It was like, you're in trouble voice. And my dad had died 10 years before that. And I don't know if I dreamed that or if I heard it, but it scared me to death. Mm -hmm. I sat up and I thought, okay, I need to do that. I need to do that. Like, Mm -hmm. so McCall was home from college for a couple of days and she I peek in and it's like 1 30 in the morning and she's watching Netflix of course so <laughs> she was awake so I said take me to the ER I know it's kind of dumb but you know that but first of all I never would have gone to the ER had I not heard my dad's voice mm. and felt scared about it mm-hmm. like and second if I had gone to sleep I probably would have been I definitely would have been dead by probably within three or four hours because I would have just internally bled so yeah it's the craziest thing well and it's hard to diagnose so uh they took my blood my blood everything came back no markers for like a heart attack no enzymes um blood pressure's fine heart rate's fine I have no fever 
And it's kind of like, you know, that's why it's hard. And the only way you can detect it is if you do a CT scan. And just as an afterthought, the doctor's like, you know what, let's just do a quick CT scan. And of course, I'm just like, is that necessary? Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> so and that's when they seen it. Literally two minutes later, I was in an ambulance being rushed to St. Mark's Hospital. So for open heart like, surgery. My yeah. goodness. So the surgery in and of itself was crazy. And you don't remember hardly anything. Well, you were out. Right. No. And you also right. died. Yeah. Holy cow. Right. <laughs> right. So you, well, you were dead yeah. for 26 minutes. Right. And you went to a beautiful place. Why don't you tell me about that place? You know what? It's like the most meaningful thing that's ever happened to me. And it was really hard when I wrote my book initially to talk about it because there were kind of no words to explain it. Plus, it was just so close to me. I couldn't like and I didn't talk about it for a long time because for a very long time, I wished I had died mm. and that I, because it was the most amazing feeling I've ever felt. And, you know, I, I didn't see my dad. I saw there was a lot of colors and a lot of, I want to say beings. They were people, but they were beings, but I couldn't make out their faces, mm. but they all were familiar. I didn't recognize anybody, but everyone was familiar. So I'm sure it's just generations and generations and generations of people that, you know, I'm from that maybe that was who they were. Mm -hmm. And like the smell and just the beauty. And I was suspended. Like I, my feet weren't like I wasn't walking. I was Mm. like kind of floating. It's weird. But I remember thinking, oh my gosh, this is where, this is home. This is where I want to be. Mm. And I definitely felt like I was in, you know, the presence of something very, very powerful and so much light, so much glory. Like I think I said in my book that it was just like a warm blanket. Mm. Someone had wrapped around me and it was just like, I felt like I was home. Mm. And it then all of a sudden I got I was actually started to get pulled away I felt that you know and everything got far further and further away and apparently that's when I came back Mm. but yeah it was it's a place we all want to be and this is just a blip of what's to come like Mm. life here on earth because there is a whole like eternity out there so, and it's where we all want to be and we're going to be with our families and, you know, it's the place I did want to stay. But, yeah, I bet. So yeah. describe the feelings. I know you say it's hard to describe. It felt like home. So like comfortable. Yeah. And it was just familiar, like, very familiar, but also just the, I want to say it was just more like love just the surrounding love and the surrounding beauty like there's no words to explain what I saw like colors I had never seen before Hmm. like just 
and everything was calm. Everything was beautiful. And yeah, it just like for the longest time I thought, was that heaven? Mm. You know, and I, I believe it was Mm. so, but yes, I mean, like the whole dying thing is just a progression. I, it's hard to lose a loved one for sure, mm-hmm. but I know that they're in a great place mm-hmm. and they're not thinking, Oh, I wish I hadn't died. No, <laughs> no, it's just part of the progression. So I, you know, when it, it just wasn't my time to go, mm-hmm. but when it is like, that's great. I'm not, you know, a lot of people are afraid of death mm-hmm. and there's no reason to be afraid. Mm. So it's going home. It's very calming for me to know that because you always, you know, you always kind of fear death, yeah. you know, because but, it is the unknown. But since you've been yeah. there, <laughs> even for a little blip, yes. it's okay. <laughs> is what yeah. you're saying. Yes. No, and it's all where we it's where we want to be and um I look forward to the day to you know that that happens. Yeah. So and it could be two weeks, it could be twenty years, who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know, it just it's like the day before your life changes forever is just an ordinary day. Mm. And it is like there wasn't a party, like a going away party for me. There wasn't mm-hmm. like, you know, I didn't like call everybody I knew that day like tell them goodbye or yeah you know no you there's no way you could have known no and it's that it's that phone call that changes your life it's a car accident that changes your life things just happen in an instant and you don't get that time back yeah and so it takes a lot more energy to be grumpy and feel sorry for yourself than it does to be happy and pivot your life and make it better. So let me ask you this, because you went from this beautiful place to being pulled back into your body to recovering where you were in an extreme amount of pain. Oh, it was Um, terrible. Why don't you take me to there? Because I can imagine that switch from peace to extreme pain was probably not only mentally challenging, physically right. challenging, but you know, emotionally challenging as well. Yes. So tell us how, how you were able to do that and what it looked like. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, the first time I remember waking up, my family was all there in the ICU room. My, my little brother and his family had come from California. I was laying there. I had like 19 IVs. I have this thing. I'm on a bed. I was on a ventilator. They had just taken it out. Like I have tubes everywhere. Mm. And I didn't know what had happened to me. I was like, why am I here? Yeah. And my family's all just like shocked and horrified and happy that I'm awake because it's been like five days. I was coherent during that five days, but I don't remember any of it. Mm. It was just kind of a blessing. <laughs> yeah, probably. I don't think it, it probably I don't think it was pretty according to what my kids, you know, went through just waiting. But yeah, my whole family was there and I thought they were trying to kill me. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> because I wanted some water. So I asked, I'm like, why are you all here? I'm like, I need water because my, you know, throat was just like sand. 
And I couldn't because I'd gone into kidney failure, colon failure, and liver failure. And they had to go back and recreate those arteries because they had not come back after they actually like kind of freeze your body. They don't freeze it, but it, they bring it down, I think, 56 degrees during the surgery to just preserve like your brain and your organs and stuff. Jeez. So I like had no idea what they were doing and they wouldn't give me water. So in my mind, my freakishly like over sedated, over anesthesia mind was thinking they were there doing tests on me and trying to kill me. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was, it took a while for me to kind of understand what had happened. And like, it was months before I ever really delved into like Googling it and like watching a procedure. It was because that this was in 2012 and I asked my cardiothoracic surgeon how many dissections they had done that year. And he said, you were number four. So they don't get to do it very often Mm. Um, because they never really get the chance to do it. But he said, yeah. And yours was by far the worst case. And you were the only one that survived. Wow. So, yeah. So then you're kind of like, oh, wow. What am I supposed to do? Yeah. <laughs> you know, Obviously, what? I'm back for a reason, even though yes. I'd rather be in the other place. I know. Um, so, I'm like, yeah, they just didn't want me up there. <laughs> I don't think that's it, Derry. <laughs> no, Not yeah. at all. Not, Not at yet. all. You had to teach us a few things from your story, I think, first. Yeah. So, talk me through this recovery because, I mean, things like climbing the stairs or even walking to the bathroom. Things that you yeah. used to do without even thinking about them all of a sudden I mean, became yeah. like the hardest thing in the whole wide world. Right. Tell, t- tell me what that looked like. Well, when I was, they were, I would get up and walk with my physical therapist around like the nurse's station and stuff when I was in the hospital, like, and it was a killer. It was all I could do to literally walk around this little circle. And mm. I had been crazy that summer because this this happened in October my birthday my 50th birthday was September 1st so the summer before I mean I'm thinking okay I'm going to be 50 and I'm divorced two things you never think are going to happen to you right (laughs) like I'm never going to be 50 and so (laughs) I like ran I biked hundreds of miles on my bike a week I would go to the gym all the time and you know, I was getting in really good shape. And I, I mean, I've always taken really good care of myself, but I literally just got in the best shape I'd been in for years. Mm-hmm. And um, my doctor told me, he said, had you not been in such good shape, there's no way you would have survived. Wow. I think mostly when I was doing all that crazy stuff, like just like every day after work, I would just go run or hike or bike or go to the gym. But I think also I was running from like my life. Mm -hmm. Like I just, that's the only way I was, I could get away from my life. Mm -hmm. And because it was kind of turned upside down at the time and it was the only way I could kind of stay sane. Mm -hmm. I had no idea that I was, you know, preparing for, to fight for my life. 
Right. So. so you are probably using exercise not only as, hey, I'm trying to get myself in shape, but also as a coping strategy. Like, Actually, I, yes. The distraction, almost. Yeah. yeah. I just was not like, I didn't want to think about my life mm-hmm. because it was kind of rotten at the time. Mm. Wow. So. So tell me how the strategies of exercising and stuff like that played into your recovery, just that mentality of pushing and, and, and trying to do more than you could the day before, I guess. Right. Yes, I was sidelined for quite a while. Um, when I mean, the only thing I looked forward to the whole time I was in the hospital was just getting home to my own bed. <laughs> everything would be fine. You know, when I got home and I would be just fine because the last time I was in my house, I was perfectly fine. Right. So my physical therapist on the last day said, hey, do you have stairs in your house? And I'm like, yeah, my bedroom's on the second level. And he said, maybe we should try some stairs. And I'm like, nah, I'm good. You know, I got it. I mean, stairs, how hard can they be? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I remember getting in the car to come home. And just the vibration of the car, like, was causing so much pain in my chest. And just the, any, my whole body was just racked by the time we got home. And I have two steps to get into my kitchen from the garage. And I thought I was barely made it up those two. Wow. And I kept thinking, I've got to go upstairs. I just want to get in my bed. I just want to get in my bed. So my daughter and I do talk about that those eight first eight stairs and then the second eight stairs and how I nearly collapsed. And like my daughter was so scared. She was like, mom, should I call the neighbors? Should I call someone to help? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, I can do this. (laughs) (laughs) You know? And finally it was a long, it was took a lot to get up the stairs. And I thought, wow. You know, I ran up and down those stairs a million times and I've never thought twice about it. And that became like one of my enemies was that staircase <laughs> for a really long time. <laughs> but we finally, we conquered it at some point. But yeah, but I think about that every day as I run up those stairs. I think there was a time when you couldn't do it mm-hmm. without just unbearable pain. So, yeah. And then I got up to my room and I couldn't, my bed was high and I couldn't get on my bed. I'm like, I'm just going to go, I have a little love seat. And so I just went and sat on my love seat and I slept on that love seat for probably two, three months. So, cause I couldn't lay down. Like the pressure was just too much. So yeah. I mean, and my daughter kept saying, just keep trying. It'll happen. It'll happen. Mm. It, it's probably easier for her to say that than it is for you to do it when you're like, I just really just want to lay down on my bed, but I can't. Yeah. Um, how, how do you fight that mental battle? You, you wrote in your book about just the battle of sleeping and oh, not horrible. being able to sleep uh, because you were so uncomfortable. and um, Here's a great quote from your book. You can't conquer this kind of problem with a single battle. I had many more battles ahead of me, but at least I'd won this one. So you made it through one night. (laughs) One night, which was a battle, right? (laughs) 
Yes. I, every day it became like that. Like I just had to just battle it that day. And the sleeping part was definitely an issue for a long time. And my doctor did mention one thing to me. He said, when you have a really bad trauma, could have been a car accident or anything like that, when you've had that kind of trauma and that your subconscious, you don't really feel it, but your subconscious also is afraid that if you go to sleep, you'll never wake up. Mm. So it's kind of a mental like game with that whole thing. Like, so it was hard. I mean, I'm still a terrible sleeper, but you know, I'm, I'm in my bed (laughs) (laughs) and you can lay down flat now, right? Oh my gosh. It's such a, it's so great. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to take a quick break, but when we get back, we will have Terry tell us a little bit about her purpose for living and how God helped her throughout her strenuous recovery. How many of you out there feel like your life is chaotic, crazy, and completely awful compared to the norm? What if I were to tell you that you are normal for you? I am so excited to announce that my book, Normal For Me by Tamara K. Anderson is now available for purchase on Amazon. This book took me 10 years to write, and I share 20 years worth of lessons learned in my life detours, including being in a car accident and having two of my children diagnosed on the autism spectrum. In this book, I share the secrets of how I made it from despair to peace with God's help. I also include a bonus diagnosis survival guide at the very end of my Normal For Me book. The Diagnosis Survival Guide includes 12 tips to survive and thrive in tough times. Wouldn't you like to know what those are? So what are you waiting for? Grab your copy of Normal For Me today on Amazon. And we're back. I've been talking to Terry Benson about her recovery from an aortic dissection and how crazy that was. Now, you mentioned in your book, and I'm going to read this quote too, because I think tells a lot of, of how you made it through those long, long nights and those difficult challenges. You say, Heavenly Father heard me. I pleaded for the strength to get through this and not let myself get discouraged. I need to get better, I prayed. I need to get strong again. I have so much I want to do. I'm so grateful to have this second chance at life, and I want to live it really live. I prayed about my love and gratitude for my three kids who had been by my side for weeks. I thanked Heavenly Father for the support of my family and friends and continued to beg for courage to persevere. As I prayed, I felt a sense of renewed strength. Hard as it was, this was possible. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can't do it alone. No. Absolutely not. No, and we're kind of not in charge. So at the end of the day, (laughs) you can make all the plans you want, but it's not up to us. So it's up to God. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so there's a plan. I I, I've always known there was a plan, but now I know there's really a plan. Mm. So, and like I said, doesn't matter what you plan or what you think you should be doing. someone else has a 
better idea of what you should be doing. <laughs> right. So, so part of your strength to get through on those daily battles came from God. Part of it came from friends and family who came and helped. So uh, we'll call them angels here on earth, right? People yeah. that came to your aid and helped you through it. But you also had to have that inner will to work and to live. And a lot of that I noticed throughout your book was your kids. Yeah. That was why you worked so hard. You wanted to not only get better so you could be a good mom, but you wanted to show them that to be an example that I can conquer my demons and you can too. Right. So, so tell me what these next few months looked like for you as you pushed forward every day, Terry, because I know it wasn't easy. No, just washing yourself or washing your hair or getting dressed like my cute daughter has done and seen things that no daughter should ever have to do. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, oh my gosh, she was just an angel. But it's like, I couldn't lift my arms. Like, for months, I couldn't drive, I couldn't do anything. Basically, I could eat. Mm-hmm. And I could go to the bathroom by myself. But those were the two things I just, like, I couldn't use my arms for any kind of support. Wow. And then just the whole physical therapy, I remember my, I think it was my first day at the cardiac rehab center. And I think it had been about six or seven weeks because he didn't want me doing physical therapy right away. I mean, I had a home care guys come in, but I didn't do a lot of physical therapy. So I went for my first one and, you know, they put the electrodes on you and you have a little monitor and they watch what you're doing. And They took me over to the treadmill and there is a guy that looks like he's Oh, good. Well into his eighties. He's got an oxygen tank and like they set my physical therapist set my treadmill to 1.1 miles an hour. And I look over at the the guy, the 80 year old guy next to me, and he's going two miles an hour. (laughs) And I'm like, that dude's going faster than me. That is not funny. That's not acceptable. what how can he and he's got oxygen you know so yeah I was kind of that rebel like at cardiac rehab that I would like when they would walk away I would turn up the treadmill you know <laughs> or turn 1. up the point two. <laughs> whatever it was I was like no I I can do I can do more than that once I decided and when I really knew and accepted my new life you know, I was going to be relentless in my recovery and so many setbacks. Oh my gosh. So many tears, so much, you know, disappointment, Mm -hmm. but I kept thinking, I've just, I've got to do it. That's kind of like my little stubborn side for for sure. Like, but you you needed it. You needed it. Yeah. Remember resilience. I didn't complain to my family at all because I just, I couldn't do that to them. So the only person I would complain to was my cardiothoracic surgeon when I'd go see him. Ah. And so I was, I told him one day, I said, if I'm never going to run again or work again or do all the things that I love, like, how am I ever going to be happy? Mm. 
and he scooted his little chair over and he grabbed my hands and he said, you know what, you are going to find things that you would have never known that bring you happiness. That's what you'll, from the dissection, from this, you will find other things. And I was like, okay, I don't understand. And I certainly don't believe that's (laughs) true. Like that could happen because I thought, you know, like, what am I going to do? You know, I kept asking him like at my year checkup, I was like, so do you think I'd go skiing? Cause it was winter. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, I'm not going to let you, you know, he's like, really, I've never had a, a patient survive this. So <laughs> you're kind of like my little pet project. <laughs> like he just, he's like, I've never had anybody. So I can't tell you what's mm-hmm. happening. Uh, he wrote about me in the world medical journal like wow. subject A or whatever, because he's, even he's like, when I saw those CT scan images come through, he didn't even think that I would make it there alive in the ambulance. Wow. Wow. He said, so I fully didn't even plan on doing the surgery. So weird because he said, and then I came in and I met you. And the other crazy thing is that my brother had gotten there and him he gave me a blessing, which is, if you don't know, it's kind of like praying for someone, mm. but they actually directed at you and they lay their hands on your head. And my brother, so the doctor left the room and my brother gave me a blessing. And my doctor said, after he said, it's weird. I was in the hallway and he said, something told me that I just needed to try. I just need to try and save her. So yeah. Mm. I mean, there was a lot of all the planets had to line up just right for me to survive <laughs> that night. And they, and they, and they did. did. They did. Yeah. That's the craziest thing. Wow. Such a miracle. So looking back, lessons learned. We've already talked about a couple of them. First of all, God is in charge, right? He, he's got a plan. And that Absolutely. means that your plan doesn't probably isn't always going to turn out. So it's okay. You it can give that does. control over to God, right? <laughs> right. Um, talk to me about choosing joy, because we, we've mentioned this briefly about choosing happiness. Why is this such a critical battle? Because a lot of those things, you know, are, are a battle inside your brain. So talk to yes. me about what that looked like for you. What did you do to choose joy? on a daily basis? I honestly, I think just praying every day Mm. for the strength and for the strength to be happy or the, Mm. you know, to have a good attitude. I literally prayed my guts out every day that I would be able to do this and that I would recover. And, but in my mind, I'm thinking, no way, no way this is ever going to happen. You know, like I'm never going to be normal again. So that was one of the things. And then I just had such a support, an army of -hmm. people, friends, neighbors, family, like, you know, we're constantly, it's so funny. I'll tell you one thing. When I was in the hospital and I was actually, they had just moved me to a regular room Mm -hmm. and I had been out of critical care and my all the, my three kids were there and my oldest son, Dallin, who's the one that's married and has the baby. He was so cute. He just said, mom, 
you know what, God knew that we needed angels and you know what, they're everywhere and mm. they are taking care of us. Like they're everywhere. But, and so my kids actually know now, like how to react when someone else goes through a crisis or something mm. like that, like just be supportive and loving and how much that means. Cause mm. he was like, we had no idea how many people love us. We had no idea the amount of love and support that, you know, my kids just felt so blessed and, you know, like people that so unexpected that would just drop in or drop by or, you know, bring food or, you know, it was just. You mentioned your daughter's birthday and how people bailed you out for that too. (laughs) Yes. Like, cause I'm thinking, okay, I'm like, I can't leave the house. I can't drive. What are we going to do for a birthday? Uh-huh. And literally like I had friends that made it happen and, you know, and that was a special birthday for her because, you know, she was like, I could have lost my mom. I mean, I could be celebrating without you. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you this because often allowing people to come in and serve you is is a it's a battle in and of itself because we have that that sense that okay I need to be self-sufficient I need to take care of myself I need to take care of my family but obviously you were in a situation where you couldn't do that what what did you do to be able to allow yourself to be served was it a mental shift what did that look like Oh, I'm that person that like no I'm good I'm good I don't need the help you know I and so like, I would feel guilty, like my friend would come and clean. And mm. I'm just like, Oh, I should be. Oh. It just made me so uncomfortable to be served. Mm-hmm. And I finally realized there's a time and a season. And it gives when something happens to someone, it gives a reason for someone to be able to serve, you know, that they get those blessings from serving you. And I just had to kind of just change my mindset. And think, okay, this is just a season. I've served others, Mm -hmm. you know, when they were having, you know, whatever it was, you know, it was. But I thought also it was good for my kids to see that too. Because Mm -hmm. then they know how to reciprocate, you know, that in the future. Yeah. So, and how important it is. Like just a phone call or a text sometimes would be like, oh that made me feel so much better. It would like brighten my day or. Mm-hmm. You know. So it can so, be little things you can do. Little to things. Yes. But I really had to just change my mindset because I am not one that likes to be served. Yeah. You know, I have a hard time accepting help, but yeah. I didn't really have any choice. Yeah. <laughs> I had to, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I really kind of had to like, yeah. you know, yeah, I'm, Every day when I open my eyes, I am still so grateful every morning to be here. We have good days and bad days. You have hard days. And I'm still grateful Mm -hmm. for those. I look back and I think I would have missed out on so many things had I not survived. So obviously, people know that that physically you're doing amazing right now. Compared yeah. to probably most aortic dissection people, even, you know? right. Yes. So what tips would you give to someone who is just really, really struggling right now to 
maybe they're facing um, a Christmas like like you did that first year where you feel like life is just coming apart at the seams. What advice would you give to someone who's facing a really hard time? Well, I think first of all, you have to find a reason, Mm. whatever that reason is. You have to have something that keeps you going and you have to like, my reason was my kids. Mm -hmm. Like I just knew that I needed to be here and I needed to be better for them. Mm. And it's not easy. Like there were days that I was just like, I wouldn't even like get out of bed. I mean, it's, you know, a lot of it's mental depression, Mm -hmm. but I was so physically like fragile and just frail. But I feel like if you wake up every day and you think, okay, I have a purpose, Mm. no matter what it is, you have to find a purpose. You have to find something that you have to live for. And I just, honestly, it's hard. It's hard to choose joy sometimes, Mm -hmm. a lot of times, but you have got to figure out what it is that you're living for and just be accepting of your life. Mm. Like I finally have just like, no matter how upset I get or how sad I get about my condition, it's not going to change it. Mm. So you know, you just, I don't know, I really had to work on that because I thought my life was over. Then I, I started walking and any little thing, just walking down the block made me so happy, mm. you know, and I feel like if you can find small victories every day, like when I walked up the stairs my first time by myself, I mean, how ridiculous is that? But that made me so happy. <laughs> like you have to find some kind of joy in whatever it is you're doing and Mm. it's, but it's a choice. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if you have someone or something like I had my kids, you have to have a reason and you have to find that reason. Yeah. So, and then, and the set those little goals, they may seem super Mm -hmm. ridiculous to anybody else, but maybe they are so meaningful to you, like climbing those stairs because it was such an impossibility almost that first time you did it. And so right. climbing the stairs by yourself was like huge. Right. So, so almost don't compare yourself now to maybe who you were before. You probably almost have to say, I'm different and it's okay, right? Yes. When I would go run or bike or whatever I was doing, I always had to do it a little bit faster than I had done it the previous time, or mm-hmm. I had to go a little bit further. And there just wasn't a lot of joy in it, not so much joy in the journey. And now it's like, you know, I want to go out and just ride my bike for fun. Like Mm -hmm. I don't have to go faster or further than I did the day before. And that part I do like about myself is that, you know, I can just find joy just walking my dog Mm -hmm. and I don't have to be running a marathon or, you know, proving something to it, you know, for anybody, but me. Mm. And it took me the whole two and a half years to figure that out, you know, and I still do get kind of bummed when there's stuff I can't do because there's days I don't feel a hundred percent. And the med medications I take make me very lethargic and tired. Oh. So I fight fatigue all the time. So 
I'm going to do it regardless if I'm tired or not. (laughs) I love, I love that you haven't let this challenge slow you down, that you, here you are eight years later, you're setting goals. Like I'm hiking angels landing, (laughs) you know, you're like, and I'm going to do it. And you do, (laughs) you know, you do it. You, you're mentioning to me before that, that you went and you went paragliding and I'm like, oh my gosh. There you go. So you're setting trippy. these these goals. You're yeah. living your life. Right. Now. I just, I missed out on a lot of joy and happiness for years and years and years when I was in a bad marriage. And it takes work every single day. But honestly, I think if you just find something to be grateful for every day, I mean, gosh, I got to brush my teeth. Like I was like, I did that by myself. Yay. You know, just those little things or getting dressed. Like I couldn't get myself dressed for months. So I had a lot of little victories, but you have to take it one day at a time. Mm. I love that advice. Just honestly, that's the key for me is that I wake up every morning and I'm so grateful, you know, and COVID has just changed everybody's lives. But what are we going to do about it? Mm-hmm. We're going to do what we have to do. Yeah. I'm, you know, we're going to wear a mask, even though we hate them. We're yes. going to, you know, we're going to socially distance, even though we hate doing that. <laughs> so, I mean, you just, because if you complain about it or you're mad about it or you, you know, it doesn't change it. Like yeah. you are still going to do it. So I choose joy instead of, you know, being unhappy over what you can be unhappy about because in these days there's a lot to be unhappy about. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It really is a choice, you know, and, and I think part of it boils down to also picking what you fill your life with. If all you fill your life with is negative, 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 I think you're going to have an easier time being negative all the time. Yeah. But, and so instead you might need to make a conscious choice and say, I'm going to fill my my life with positives today. I'm going to, maybe I'm going to turn off media for a day and just find a positive podcast to listen to, or I'm going to read a good book or listen to a good book and just fill your life with positivity. So making the choice to be positive and joyful is easier, right? Right. And I kind of don't know if I willed my life to like recover after two and a half years. Like I just uh-huh. never gave up hope that I would ski and bike and do all this stuff. I, in the back of my mind, I just kept thinking, there's no way you can't do this. <laughs> like, you know, and so at two and a half years, my doctor was like, I had had a scan and he's like, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but if you want to go skiing, go ahead. <gasps> and he said, but be mindful because we do not know what sort of trauma you can withstand. We have no idea, you know. Yeah, or be careful. <laughs> it, just remember, it's not worth your life mm-hmm. if you, you know. So, I mean, and that's me. Like, I was always just like, oh, I've got to go faster, strong, you know. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, no, I'm just going to go. and so You're going to go and enjoy it. Yes. Like, I hike and I love to just stop and look at the beauty. You know, because sometimes you just get that tunnel vision and you kind of forget to just stop and look around. 
and just be grateful. You know, we live in the most beautiful place. Mm. And for a long time, I didn't even notice because you're too busy being stressed out, being unhappy and not caring. So, yes, I having a dissection was definitely the best thing that ever happened to me because it changed my life incredibly. It put life into perspective for me. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And life can be very short. Some things will just change your life forever. Hmm. And it's not always a bad thing. Yeah. So it may feel like a bad thing at the moment because admit it, oh, that absolutely. first year, it probably felt like the yes. worst thing in ever. Ever. Yeah. <laughs> no. But but hindsight's always 2020. So looking back, always you'll yeah. see the the blessings and the miracles. Absolutely. Yes. So let me ask you this, Terry. What resources would you recommend? to people who are struggling. Obviously, your book, it's called How My Ordinary Became Extraordinary. And that's basically the first year of your recovery. And and also, tell us about this new book that's coming out in the spring. Yes, I decided that I had, because when I wrote my book, I wrote it from the day the dissection happened till exactly one year later. So Mm -hmm. at that point, I don't know if I'm ever going to get on my bike or if I'm ever gonna you know do anything like I I don't know and I've had a lot of lessons a lot of lessons have been learned you know in the past eight years yes um and just my physical recovery became I mean I just kept getting stronger and there's just a lot that happened after my new book is called beautifully broken and I'm getting close to having it finished. My goal is to have it fully written by the end of December, but it's, it's basically my story again, but now I tell it better and I add more <laughs> things. I add more things to it um, because I did die for 26 minutes. So yeah, I, I talk about that a lot more in the next book. When you have a near death experience, I feel like people want to hear about it because yeah. I think it gives them hope. And because people are very curious about death and they're very scared about death. Yes. And there's nothing to be afraid of. And that's so good to hear. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and like I said, no one probably that reads my book is going to have an aortic dissection, but people have struggles every day. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you just need to read someone's story or hear someone's story to kind of go, okay, well, they did this. So maybe if I work on this, I'll progress. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I agree. I, and that's one of the reasons I do this podcast is it, it is so awesome to hear other stories of people who've been through hard things. And, and often we do learn the same lessons, but sometimes the way someone tells their story may impact you a different way. I love one of the final quotes in your book. And um, it says, I will remember the victories I've already obtained and pray for the strength to rise up and fight the next battle. I will feel my heart beat as I fall asleep and prepare for the next day. I will keep going. I'm not at the beautiful place, but I know it's waiting for me. Until then, I will strive to make this life the best it can be. I'll get there eventually. Tomorrow is just the next step. It's true. There's always tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And I just, I mean, I feel like if you 
fill your life with those, the gratitude, those kind of thoughts, your life is just instantly happier. Where can we find you online? <laughs> you know what? My Facebook is just Terry Benson, T-E-R-I, and then Benson, B-E-N-S-O-N. And then my Instagram is Terry Benson 48. You can find me there. I will definitely announce my release of my new book on there. So Yay! Yeah. I'm excited for that. Can't wait to read version two. <laughs> Because version one is so beautiful and you just feel like you want to cheer for Terry and and your book's available on Amazon, right? Yes. Awesome. Perfect. Perfect. So go check out her book, How My Ordinary Became Extraordinary. It's available today and you can also get her new book as it comes out in the spring. Beautifully Broken. Thank you for letting me share my story because if it just helps or touches one life, that makes all the difference in the world. So, oh. And just make each day extraordinary. That's kind of my mantra for every day. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's show. I know that there are many of you out there that are going through a hard time, and I hope you found things that have been useful today as you listen to the podcast. If you would like to access the show notes from today's podcast, visit my website. It is storiesofhopepodcast.com. That is where you'll find favorite quotes from today's episode and shareable memes. And those are fun because you can share them with your friends on social media. You will also find the links mentioned throughout today's episode so you don't have to remember what those were. And also all the tips that were shared. Sometimes tips are shared so much throughout an episode you forget. What were those great things? So go to the show notes, storiesofhopepodcast.com to look up these fantastic resources. You know, if someone kept coming to mind during today's episode, perhaps that means that you should share this with them. Maybe there was a story shared or a tip that they really, really need to hear. So go ahead and share this episode with them. May God bless you, especially if you are struggling with hope to carry on and with the strength to keep going when things get tough. Remember to walk with Christ and he will help bear that burden. Above all else, remember God loves you.